the One Player Podcast. This is episode 86. Let's go on an adventure. Yeah, because we're going to go on an adventure. Adventure for yeah. everyone. <laughs> well, when you say let's go on an adventure, it made me think, it made me think of Dora. Dora the Explorer. Yeah. On an adventure. Yeah, that's that's part of her one of the um, songs. My <laughs> daughter song. doesn't watch television. We don't actually have a television in our house. So I don't know okay. anything about Dora other than it shows up. But my daughter, even though she doesn't actually watch any of the shows, really loves Princess Sophia. I know nothing about it. I oh, know nothing. She? I know only that it shows up on Disney okay. paraphernalia. <laughs> that's it. That's funny. We used to have TV and we used to watch Dora a lot. My daughter used to love it when she was little, but they outgrow that really fast, that show. Though it has stuck Poor with child. me. And Dora is, it's such a funny show because it's so formulaic. They always do three things where first we go over the rainy bridge and then we got to cross the the swimmy stream and finally we'll get to the lake with the burrito or, you know, whatever the subject is. And it's always three things like that. And they ask the map for help and the map says, hey, I'm the map. Uh, Could you tell Dora this is what we got to do? And he'll (laughs) tell them the three things and you're supposed to come back and tell Dora. And then they get stuck in trouble when she goes into her backpack and backpack comes out singing backpack, 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 backpack. Hey, I'm here to help Dora. And she's struck, stuck crossing the stream. Well, let's see what we have in the backpack to help her. Can she use a banana? No. How about an umbrella? No. <laughs> Something tells me you've been watching too much of this. Raft? Oh, we watched lots of Dora when we were younger. <laughs> it is, it's entertaining. Oh it really is. Yeah, thanks, no. My daughter never, you know, she never talked back to TV when it said, can you tell Dora this? She would never do it. My son would. He would tell the TV everything. (laughs) It was so funny. Yeah, I know. But anyway. So, how's it going? That has nothing to do with the podcast. It's going well. It's going really good. Um, Summer's over. I'm back to getting back into my routine of life. And been playing a lot of solo games. And by games. summer's over, you mean school has started because it's still actually hot. School and has started. Summery here. Technically, it's summer. It's been cooler than before. It's That's been a, a relatively very loose summer. definition of cooler than before. I don't know. Here, it's still getting up to like ninety. I feel like. I mean, we just spent uh, oh. we just spent the Labor Day at the zoo this evening for Members Day. It's still pretty warm out there. I know I'm warm. Wow. Okay. For us, it was in the in the eighties, and I think we had ninety again the other day. But it's been in the eighties for a week or two. Now I, just need, I should play a game of Arctic Scavengers just to cool down. Ah, uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> or a game of Mistfall. Ah, Send me up to the north. Have you uh, Have you gotten Mistfall in? I think you backed it. Uh, I got my Mistfall. Yep, I backed it. I got it. I, I've opened and kind of looked through it, but I haven't played. I started reading the rules a little bit. Okay. That's as far as I got. have How about played. You? I played through the introductory scenario, although I played through once where there's like an important rule, which you are very likely to miss if you don't pay very close attention is that the reinforcements track will go up um, based upon certain certain things happening will cause reinforcements to come up. So at the end of the turn, if you have reinforcements track on, say, two, so two more bad guys will come out. If you read all the way in like the fine print over in the advanced rules, it says, and when bad guys come out, reset the reinforcements track. I didn't play that way the first time. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, oh. two guys, and then three guys, and then four guys. I'm like, I'm drowning in guys. This is not good. <laughs> You're playing the challenging devil level. Yeah, so that's that was an important rule that I really feel you know was was missed. I don't know. I'm having some difficulties with the rules. The game is good. I'm having a lot of fun playing the game. 
Um, but the rules, uh, I feel like they need errata for a bunch of cards and for the rules, and I don't know. Hmm. I'm sure that okay. I'm going to get more plays in it. Hopefully we'll get a review of it coming up soon. Yep. Yeah, I, I want to play that too and, and talk about that. I, I'm starting to play um, Aw- Conflict of Heroes, Awakening the Bear. I got the solo expansion for that recently. And the Firefight Generator, which also lets you play solo. So I'm starting to try and read those rules. I'd, I'd like to talk about that soon too. Okay. Yeah. And that, that's one that looks neat. And, you know, I've tried playing Conflict of Heroes a few times before, and I find it really hard to get through the rules in that what is, one. What is, I'm not familiar with that one. It's a, it's a World War II game. It's at a... What's the mechanic? The mechanic? It's a... You have unit activations. You have act, action points each turn. Okay. And it's a, it's a nice little war game. It's, it looks really good. It won an award. I'm not sure. I think an Origins award or some kind of award a few years ago when it first came out. Cool. And it's a really nice looking game. Uh, I've played it solo because the base game says it could be played solo and it has guidelines for playing solo, but you're really controlling both sides. But now they came out with the solitaire rules and that uses some sort of emergent AI and, and, and some complicated AI stuff. Apparently it's supposed to be really good. And so I'm looking forward to it. Cool. You'll have to tell me about that when you get it done. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Hey, have you played much else? Um, I've played some Hostage Negotiator. I played some Sylveon. Um, I played, well, that's in terms of solo. In terms mm-hmm. of uh, multiplayer, I've been playing a ton of Ashes. Neat. Which okay. is the, the newest game from Plathead Games, which I believe is only available on, uh, I'll put quotes on it, pre-order. Um, and it's pre-order shipping immediately. It's just, it's, the, the slow boat hasn't yet got into the, sh- the stores but if you order it straight from Plat Hat Games, so then you'll get it, you know, shipped out the next day or that day. Okay, cool. But I've been playing a ton of it. I've heard of it. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, I did. I mean, play I'm very a- biased because mm-hmm. I am one of the uh, the playtesters of the game. I managed the. I, I I work for Plat Hat managing their playtest data. Um. So I was, I was already involved in the game. You know pre at the beginning, and now we're working on the, the expansions for the game, the expansion decks for the game. So I'm kind of a little biased, but I really love the game. I love, love the game. It's great. Very cool. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I heard about it. I heard them talk about it on the Spiel podcast, and it just sounds really interesting. No solo mode, unfortunately. I wish I could figure out how to develop a solo mode for such a thing. I have no idea how to even start. I don't know. That's that's hard for me. I I played uh, Elder Sign, finally. Not Elder Sign. um, Eldritch Horror. Oh, yeah? Yeah, not solo, but we had talked about it, and I played it, and you know what? I hate to say this, but I liked it. It what's was neat. What's wrong with that? What's, what's wrong with that is that up there, i got a whole bunch of uh, Arkham Horror stuff. Oh, you're busted. Yeah, I don't want to get more. Well, I mean, here's the do, problem is I know, a friend, I know a friend who actually had a bunch of Arkham Horror stuff, and he played Eldritch, and he's like, okay, I guess I have to get rid of all my Arkham stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's kinda, it's, I really like the theme. I think the theme makes a lot more sense. They did better. I think that the the mechanics also are, are more streamlined and easy. They are, though. I, we kept finding it hard to find the right cards and stuff. Because I had to keep searching through the deck a lot of times, and it just had trouble finding cards. And I don't know if it's because we didn't have it organized right or what. You were searching through decks? When did you search through decks? It would tell me to find a certain type of card, and we would look through the deck for that type of card. Okay, I don't and know. And we may have been doing it wrong. I don't know. But, you know, it's the first time I played. I don't know. Yeah, I play, I've played it, I don't know, 
three or four times, I think. Okay. The only problem is it's a longer game. Yeah, it is. We didn't actually. I didn't get to finish. I had to leave, and the game was still going. So, so I just left on them, which was okay because since there are now fewer players, it was easier for them. And they, by me leaving, they were able to finish the first part of the the, the first goal that they had to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So, so that was okay. <laughs> Very the, cool. Yep. The other thing I've been playing a lot lately is uh, Lord of the Rings card game. I've been going through that, and I, I finally finished. Going through Casa Doom, the the first ex- large box expansion, which was something I'd been dying to play forever, and I finally got that done, and that was great. I got to to build a deck and figure out the right strategies and, and work through that, and just ton of fun. So uh, yeah, should we get on to the news? What news we have? If we, do we have news? Um, if we have, I don't know if we have news. Let's find out. The only news that I have is. Um, I know that uh, the the solo designing for the upcoming game Scythe is coming along very well. Um, it's moving along, and should Scythe is expected. Scythe being the game coming out soon from uh, Stonemaier Games, which is going to sort of be a mix of Kemet and Agricola. So you're going to have you know minis mixed in with the farming mechanic. Um, interesting little blend there. Um, so I know that there's a solo mode that uh, um, Morton Pedersen is working on. He, he tells me that it's coming along nicely, and he expects that it'll be in. Very cool. Speak, speaking of Stonemaier, didn't they're coming out with a new edition of uh, Viticulture, aren't they? And I think that has some other version of the Solitaire game in it. Viticulture but- Essential Edition. And I think that it's not a different version. I think what it is is it's just originally the Solitaire game came with the expansion the tuscany expansion and so with the essential edition they've reworked it and they put it in so it fits into the original one nice okay okay all right very cool there there seems to be a lot of other games coming out all of a sudden all the stuff that was out at uh, s and not at SM, but at um gen con you mean gen con thank you yep There's a lot of stuff showing up at the store so keep an eye out for solo friendly games such as have you seen any i've seen some i can't remember any offhand um I saw the Star Trek game is showing up. That should be around. That's a cooperative game by Mayfair, um, which I did get a chance to watch. And I, I don't, I don't know if you've seen that Star Trek game. What's the name of that one? It's a Star Trek Five Year Mission. That's yes. What it is. And I took a chance to look at it, and oh my gosh, I got, I fell asleep looking at the art for that one. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mayfair. What were you thinking looking at that one? The, the way it works is you, you essentially have some dice and. You're moving the dice around, you're doing things, and all working cooperatively together to fulfill your missions. And sometimes, every once in a while, and th- this is the part that, that the people who I was watching hated, is that sometimes you have to turn over a, a timer, and you have to work under the stress of being able to roll fast um, until the timer runs out. Almost like they went and took like a little bit of escape and threw that in there. So, But, I mean, I was looking at the art. It is so bland and blah, and just, it's not crisp it's not vibrant it looks like it was a washed out clip from video from vhs that has been sitting around <laughs> it for was. 20 years well yeah you know it, it's an old show if you're a star trek fan i think you probably won't mind that too much is my guess i haven't seen it yet so I, I don't really know but yeah i mean not very much news unfortunately i, I think that there's a bunch of games i think that the uh, kickstarter crews starting back up they were getting more games coming out on kickstarter 
Uh, I've been avoiding looking at Kickstarter on purpose. Chicken. No, I can't. <laughs> I just can't. Well, then I'm horrible for you, aren't I? I've got, yeah, you are, actually. I've gotten too many things lately, and boxes keep showing up, and that's just got to stop. <laughs> I can't keep up with all the games to play, to be honest. That's the problem. It's I can't keep up. Right now in my queue, the new stuff I've got, like I mentioned, uh, The Conflict of Hero, Misfall that I haven't played. Um, I know there's a few other games up here. This is something about me is I have zero patience. If a game comes in, it usually takes me mm, about an hour until it is opened up, punched, laid out. <laughs> At the very least, I want to have it out and on the table immediately. Like I hear other people talk about their unplayed games, new and shrink sitting on the, on the, in the shelf. I can't keep a game around new and shrink. I have to take it out, punch it, and just play with the bits. Even if I don't have time to play with the game, I have to punch it and play with the bits. I have to. I, I do do that. If I, if I get a new game, I'll usually punch it. There's a couple exceptions. I've found some games really cheap, and I bought it because they were cheap, but I'm not in a hurry to play them, so I've just left them in shrink. But for the most part, yeah, anything I get, I open up. Oh, I got um, Heroes Wanted expansion recently. Oh, cool. Yes, and I, I played a little bit of that with my son, and we had a lot of fun with it. it it's such a goofy game. I, lo- I love it because it's so goofy. Oh, cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is a very goofy game. So I think that's our news. I know there is stuff on Kickstarter that's solo-friendly. Well, I don't want to talk about too much of it. Um, for a number of reasons, one of which is that I, don't ha- I haven't had the time to look into all of these. So I know, for example, I don't know if you've looked into any of these, but for instance, Factory Funner, I know is one that is solo-friendly currently on Kickstarter. And to me, just very briefly, Factory Funner looks like an app where you have to put together pieces and, and you make different colored balls and something like that. It reminded me of a, of a digital game where you're trying to put together you know, the tiny impossible machines. And another one that I haven't had time to look into is Gloom of Killforth, um, which is an RPG adventure card game, um, which is another one that I just have not had time to look into. I don't know if you've had a chance to look into either one of those. Nope, not at all. Nope, avoiding it. Yeah, I'm avoiding. I'm, I'm looking at Kickstarter now, and you know, on the first page, right away, there's a few games that are solo friendly. There's uh, Networks and Gloomhaven. Right, those are the two that I'd like to talk about. Okay. Yeah, those are two that I'm that I'm interested in. I I'm looking forward to to both of those. Although Gloomhaven, well, let's talk about Gloomhaven first. So the way that Gloomhaven works is, I'll, let me talk about two types of things with Gloomhaven. Um, Gloomhaven is a card card driven tactical combat game where when you're in a dungeon, what happens is you can have your, your characters will move around a hex based board and there'll be obstacles or doors or traps on the board and there'll be enemies on the board. And on your turn, you'll have a hand of cards. And each of the cards has two sides. So the top side will typically be a more attacking type of thing. And the bottom side will be a more moving type of thing. And so on your turn, you'll pick one card to play the top of and one card to play the bottom of. So you'll be playing an attack thing and a move thing. It's not strictly everything is attack or move, but that's the sort of general type mm-hmm type of stuff that happens so you're playing the bottom of the top of the card and your initiative is based upon one of those two cards the one that you play on top i think and 
if you, you can sometimes move faster because there's a random draw deck for each of the enemies. So you might be going up against some skeletons. So you'll draw from their draw deck to f- see how quickly they move and whether what sort of attack they do or if they get any bonuses. And you're drawing cards, and instead of having dice to determine how well you did or if you missed, there's, I guess what I'll call them, a dice deck almost, which is a set of decks, which is one is a miss, one is no modifiers, one is plus one, plus two, two times, and you can add cards into that, so it's almost like you're upgrading your dice, which I think is kind of a cool mechanic. Um, So you can add one that adds fire to your attack, or adds ice to your attack, or adds death touch to your attack. So you can increase, you can make your dice almost better by changing what your dice deck does. And so you're playing through, and you're playing these cards to go and beat beat up against the bad guys and get treasure and get money and going through the dungeon quest. Now that seems like a very interesting dungeon quest to me. Um, to this end, I mean, the theme is, is kind of generic. It's, it's a dungeon quest theme. It's, it's unique how they've had the two cards plus the dice deck mix in. Having to mix in the idea that you get two and you have to pick a top and a bottom. You have more control over what it is that you do and more abilities, and, and it adds a level of dynamics to what it is that you can do. And the fact that you can upgrade your dice with the dice deck is interesting. But I don't know if you've been watching the discussions about this. I don't think that's really the main draw that's really pulling people to this. Um, even though right now it may sound fun. What, what do you think about it so far? No, it sounds neat. The, the mechanic sounds pretty unique. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, each player has their own abilities. So, you know, there's a scoundrel and there's, you know, a knight, and everyone has their own abilities. But what um, I think that the, the most unique thing that they've done is that they've made this almost into a legacy persistent game where as you're going through the game, each time you go on the road or you go into um, town or at other random times when the story happens, you're going to encounter a story event. And you'll draw a card, and the card will give you options. And so it could be that the option will be, you know, you find a piece of dirt and you open it up, and it's a, you, you can either run away or you can open it up and it unlocks genies all across the world and gives you your own genie, for example. Um, hmm. I'm, I'm making up which one that is, but that's, that's an example of things. And so that changes the whole world. So from now on, you'll, you'll write this down or you'll use stickers or whatever method they, the, the game I believe is going to be including stickers with the, with the actual version. Um, but I think they also want to have it be that there'll be a sheet in case you don't want to have it be permanent on it. But, um, so it, you actually are making changes to the whole entire world and, developing a, a legacy dynamic to it as you go through these dungeons and you're finishing out the storyline. Okay, that, that sounds really cool. That reminds me of a Shadowrun Crossfire game that has characters that you put stickers on as you level them up from game to game. I don't think this one you put... I don't think you put stickers on the characters in this one. I think with this one you actually are... You, you can get new abilities, but I think all of those come in the form of cards. Or new, or new equipment. The way this works is you're filling out the storyline for the world. So it's the, the world that's changing. Okay. So, and I mean, even you can have, really, if you want to play this game with multiple people, you just simply set up that everyone is playing in the same world. 
And so what one person's play, so for instance, if one person in your last game group opened up the genies, that'll still be happening the next time you restart the game, even if you're not in the same world. It all lasts and all, it's all permanent. That That's really neat, because I think that sometimes is a problem with some solitaire games, is it, every time you're starting over, and, and because solitaire games just have less replayability, they, they get stale, and the fact that it changes over time will add a lot of replayability. I, 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 mean, I don't know all the stickers, but yeah, I think that's the hope and the draw of this game is that the whole world will change as your characters grow, and even next time you play through the game, can, things will continue to change. One Another interesting thing that I liked about this one is I'm sure you've probably heard me talk before about minis. Mm-hmm. This game does include minis, which means that the game with the minis, um, it's going to be $79 to, uh, to get you the game on kickstarter okay but if you want you can opt to get standees instead and you can save 15 bucks if you get the standees so it's only 64 dollars if you get the standees and the minis is only for the character class the um the units are all standees anyway so you may if you get the minis you'll have minis for the characters and standees for the um monsters so with this one you have everything being standees and you save 15 bucks to me, that's a win, you know? I'm mm-hmm. really happy that, that they give you... I, I like people who, who realize that not everyone cares about the minis and wants to pay for the minis. Game looks nice, and I wouldn't want to pay for the minis. I'd be perfectly happy with the standees, you know? It's full color that way. Otherwise, yeah. you have to paint the minis if you want color. This is full color, nice standee. And they'll never look as good. Yeah. I'm not a professional artist. <laughs> Few of us are. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's uh, neat that they give you that option. Yeah, that is, and you could get just the minis if you want. You, you could, could just, get just the minis if you want. I don't really know why. I, I guess I know why, because people sometimes want to get these things. So it's $20 for just the minis. Um, yeah, I guess if that's... I mean, or if you really wanted, you can get the minis and the standees if you wanted to pay, you know, $100, $99. There you go. Then then I'm really confused what you're doing. <laughs> it's just obsessive. I need it all. I really do. <laughs> yeah, this game looks really neat. I'd, I'd be interested in backing it, though. I'm just going to avoid backing anything. My goal is not to back anything this month. Good luck. Thank well, you. I mean, fortunately, there's lots of time left on this one. It, it finishes September 30th. Oh, yep, this month. It'd have to be the, the first. Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. At 12 well, p.m., yeah. Let's, let's see if I can continue to tempt you. Okay. Next one that I want to talk about is Networks. And you had said that you were looking at this one. I was looking at this the other day. Uh, the cartoon art is funny. Right. This is the same art as the person who did the recent game that I also really liked, Loop. Loop Inc. Okay. Um, so it's the same sort of cartoony art. It's very um, playful art. I think the whole game really lives its playfulness because the idea of networks is you are a network um, and all the networks are the initials, I think it's SPI and I'm not quite sure why. I'm not quite sure what that joke is. I don't know. Yeah, all, all, the same three letters in different, in different orders. PSI, SIP, SPI. I'm, I'm not quite sure what the joke on that one is. But <laughs> any, anyway, setting that aside, um, with... So with this game, you are one of the networks. 
um, and you are trying to develop your lineup so that you have three shows and reruns, and you're trying to get as many viewers as possible hooked on your thing so that you know you can be the best network out there. And so there's all sorts of funny game, all sorts of funny things. So um, you you get shows and you get um, let's see, you get shows and you get ads and you get stars and i think it's a a lot of the jokes that are funny in there so for instance you start everyone starts with a set of cards and i'm trying to look through the kickstarter to see if it lists some of the starting cards but i don't but here's a show that you can get um you can you can actually purchase a show called you reek (laughs) or plaster piece theater or car chases without context (laughs) Here's the starting cards. That one of the shows is Get to Know Your Lower Colon. Or, uh, like this one, The Emergency Broadcast Test Tower. Yes, or What's in My Pockets. <laughs> and then there's also the stars. The stars are funny. There's a star always dies in everything. Yeah, this looks really entertaining. It really does. It's an It's an entertaining game. And so the idea of the game is it's an action selection game. So on your turn, you're going to be able to buy a network or buy a show or buy a actor or take an ad which will pay you and you're trying to balance all those actions that you can maximize your money and also maximize your viewers but you're going normally in the multiplayer game you'd be facing off another player who's also trying to grab all of those cards and get what it is that you need so with the solo game on this i i mean i was really happy to see what it is that he wrote about the solo game on this one he he writes in the Kickstarter page, lots of games feature solo modes that are throw-ins, but the network's solo mode is just as good as any other player count. That's why it's not a stretch goal. I feel that the network's solo mode is a fundamental core part of the game, so it's baked into the base funding goal. So, I mean, it's it definitely appears like they put a lot of thought into the solo mode of the game. I have mm-hmm. not played the game, because I have not printed out the whole game, and I don't think it's available on digital. But... The way the solo mode works is that essentially you are putting yourself on a time limit for what it is that you can do. Each time you take a turn, you have to burn one of the cards. Uh, so you have to, to get rid of some of the cards. You have to get rid of an ad or a network ability or a show or something. You have to get rid of one of the cards. And if you can't get rid of a card, you're going to put down one of the black cubes. And along the way, you have checkpoints of how many viewers you have. So by the end of round two, you have to have X amount of viewers. And by the end of round four, you have to have another X amount of viewers, which is 100 more. And if you don't match those, they shut you down. And if you can't burn cards, they shut you down. And the goal of the game is to have, I think it's 465 or 265 viewers by the end of the game. Otherwise, you're shut down. So you're racing against, really, you're racing against a set fixed goal. So there's no other AI. But the sec fix goal has a number of checkpoints along the way to avoid being shut down. There's a lot of fun silliness in this game. It'll be entertaining to play. The card for, where did I just see that? For the IPS Network TV, it's a Player 5 Corporation. Yes. I like that. So I imagine that the one of the other ones is a Player 1 Corporation or a Player yes. 2, depending which player number you are. Yes. That's just goofy. I like that. So I think that personally, I think that I've talked about the solo mode here. I think that some of the stretch goals, I would love to see some extra tokens just for the solo mode. 
Mm-hmm. Um, just because a lot of that requires tracking specifically, and you're like reworking and reutilizing and trying to remember what those tokens mean. So, like, you'll take some of the player tokens, and this player token means your checkpoint for season two, and this checkpoint means your checkpoint for season four. I'd love to see some actual tokens that say, oh, here's this token. It says you must have 245, and here's where the token goes. It's on 245, and, and things like that. I would like to see something like that, but. I don't know if that'll actually happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. The game's doing really well, though. I mean, it's already met its goal, and it's still got 24 days to go. Yeah, I mean, it's not only met its goal. It's uh, I think they've even got some stretch goals done. Um, the the It was at 25,000. It's already at 28. And the first set of stretch goals is 30K, and they, only, they already have to... They have some sequence at 55 and 65. But yeah, I expect to see this go places just because the art is cute and it's a cute looking game. And it seems like it's a, a good rule set. Nice and easy to pick up. Mm-hmm. And this one also ends on the September 30th. So you're still not going to get it. No, uh, you know, September 30th at 11.59 p.m. Oh, so close. So and close. this one is, by the way, it's a mere $35 to back and get a copy of it. I did see that. And I oh. still haven't convinced you, which is probably good for you. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I think if I do break, this would probably be one that would convince me. Well, I'll tell you, the next one isn't even on Kickstarter, but I want to talk about it anyway, just because, to me, I kind of feel like it's uh, almost breaks Gloomhaven. And this is The Seventh Continent. Have you seen this one coming around to the hotness? I've seen seen the title a couple times, but I haven't done anything about it. So this one is not out on Kickstarter yet. And let me look up real quick and see when it is coming out to Kickstarter. Is this one that's sort of like Arabian Nights or something like that in gameplay, or, or no? Mm, maybe. I mean, it's a, the, the Kickstarter is going to be starting uh, the 29th of September, so it's going to be you know till the end of the month for it. So I'm talking about this a little early. Um, but mostly, um, I think I'm going to be meeting with the designers for it for an interview tomorrow. So I guess really we can just uh, let everyone listen to what it is that the designers have to say about the game. Okay. Depending how how fast we are with the editing, that might be on this very show. Cool. Just for some context for what I know about the game, um, do you ever play like the point-and-click adventures of the old age? Yeah, I I played some of those. Or the new age, really. I think they're still making those. (laughs) Yes, they they still do make a lot of them. A lot of them nowadays will have uh, like logic puzzles in them and that sort of thing. Yep, so then you're going to be right at home with the way The Seventh Continent works. The Seventh Continent works is that it is a 30-hour game. Okay. Yep, that was 30 hours, not 30 minutes. That was about a 30-hour game. And the way it works is that you start with a starting card. And so the starting card will, for example, say you can head west and look at card 04, head north and look at card 05, or you can head up these mountains, which are on the right side of the card, on the east side of the card, and you can look at 06 card. And then if you look at 06, they'll say, yep, it's a really high mountain. Try and see if you get a success. And if you get a success, you can look at 07. And if not, you fall back down and get damaged. Oh, wow. Okay. And the way successes work is you have a deck of a success deck. And you can start off by saying, okay, I'm going to draw two cards. And so this is the, the action will say you need to draw at least one or at least none or however many it is. But let's say you say, I want to draw two cards because it lets me. You then will flip over two cards, and however many stars are showing 
on those cards you drew are how many chances for success you have. And the action will say you might need, for example, one star. And so if you flip over two cards and you get two half stars, so then you've gotten together your one star, so you were a success. But if you flipped over two cards and you only got a single half star, so you didn't get a success and you fell back down the mountain and you got hurt. And that's going to be a timer mechanism because that success actions, you can add to it throughout the game and there'll be things that let you, I think, and there'll be things that let you sort of, you know, get more energy. But if you run out of that, you can't do anything and you've lost the game. And you'll be exploring and there'll be cards coming out and you'll be building this board, which at full length is a three meter by three meter board. Um, oh, wow. So it's a, it's a huge board. I mean, you can really start to add a huge... You can add a huge amount to it. And you're going through, and so sometimes you'll have a card. So, for example, there's another card that comes up where you flip over the card and it has a lever that you pull. And if you you have a choice to pull the lever forward and pull the lever back, and you have to trace along the gears that are connected to the lever to find out whether or not it's the... whether or not you should be pulling forward or backwards... And if you pull the wrong way, you will cut off your leg. And if you pull the right way, you will let your leg go free from this bear trap. And you have to actually trace along the card, and then you'll pull out a card from the deck based upon what you think the solution is, and then that'll replace the card that you're playing with. And it all feels like you're playing in a card game, a a point-and-click adventure. Now, I have not really previewed the game, and I've only read their previews about the game, but that sounds pretty neat to me. It sounds really cool. Yeah, it really does sound like a video game. So I'm hoping I'm going to be talking to them tomorrow, but hopefully we can go ahead and uh, get this interview published up for everyone to listen to. All right. So coming up shortly is an interview with these guys. I hope you enjoy it. Or maybe not. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We'll tell you in editing. (laughs) You'll tell us after you've listened to it. We don't know. We just don't know. This is is how time (laughs) works sometimes. It's just you know, time is not on our side all the time. All right, so so that is Kickstarter. Is there more Kickstarter that you've been eyeing? No. No. You're Seven, lucky. The Seventh Continent is something I might be interested in, and, and you know it won't be. And it's next September. month. It's next month. Yes, yeah, so I might I might be tempted. And it's next month. You're lucky. Yep. But yes, that's it. That's all I've got for you. I'm not going to tempt you with anything else. I know there's more out there, but I'm not tempting you with anything else. I'm here with Bruno Soter, the designer of the upcoming game coming to Kickstarter soon, The Seventh Continent. Hello there. Hi. How are you doing today? Fine, thanks. A lot of work before the Kickstarter campaign starts uh, by the end of September, but uh, it's uh, exciting. Exciting, sorry. <laughs> I can only imagine. Forgive my, forgive my, uh, my rest English. Huh? As, we, as you might uh, hear, we are two guys from France, so obviously we, we have a French accent. <laughs> That's okay. Definitely don't mind the international games. Definitely brings a different sort of flavor to it. Do you think that uh, being in France has given you some flavor to the game? Well, I don't know. I guess uh, Ludovic, my partner, and I, we are co-designers of the, the game. And I think that uh, we've been inspired by, uh, of course, lots of games, video games, board games and stuff from all over the world, but mostly from the U.S., obviously, because we've been playing role-playing games for uh, the last decades, and uh, and we love 
US games and um, German games too, but mostly American games. So I guess mixed with our French culture, something happens. <laughs> what kind of role-playing games have you liked to play in the past? Well, uh, recently we've uh, played uh, Cthulhu, the um, uh, Hallucinated Mountains. I don't know the, the exact translation in, uh, in English. So uh, we've, of course, we've played uh, Dungeons and Dragons, mm -hmm. 4th edition, now 5th. And Paranoia as well, and uh, Dragon's Dreams, I don't know the, the name, Warhammer and stuff. So we've played quite a lot, especially when we had time for this, which is uh, unfortunately less and less since now we design games and uh, we cannot play them as much as we would like to. <laughs> I definitely hear that time is always a factor when you're in this hobby. It is, yes. Especially when you are two guys doing all the stuff together because we are co-designers and my associate, my partner, is also the guy who does all the drawings, all the artwork for the game so lots lots of work oh good you have everything going on in house it probably makes it a lot easier to help with the design process mostly yes but we we launch only one game every two years because conception and design it takes just too much time i understand how did you originally get into the into board gaming well we 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 used to work together in a digital agency so we made websites for uh, french companies and uh, international companies about entertaining and uh, games and stuff and we as i said we we just been playing all our lives the every game that we could put our hands on so we we had some ideas and we wanted to to make them happen so we decided to to found Salius Pulp our publishing company And it happened in uh, late uh, 2010. And we started with our first game, which is called Steam Torpedo. It's a submarine battle game for two players. It's now in the US, thanks to our distributor, Yellow Games. And uh, two years later, we launched uh, Eight Masters Revenge. It's a fighting game for one to four players, in which you use your fist in order to defeat your opponent. And we've revisited the, the genre of uh, the fighting games, which are sometimes a bit brutal, and we try to to add some simulation in it and some tactical choices. And for the last two and a half years, we've been working on The Seventh Continent, which is our upcoming project on Kickstarter. Uh, it's uh, we'll, I think we'll discuss mostly about this one. So I definitely think so, because that's the one that I'm really excited to see coming out. Mm. Um, so speaking of The Seventh Continent, why don't we just jump into it? Can you describe how Seventh Continent works for me? Yes, of course. So The Seventh Continent is uh, an exploration and survival board game. You can play it on your own or up to four players in cooperation. And it's an exploration game in which you explore a newly discovered continent that was discovered in the early of the 20th century out of Antarctica. And you, you as a famous explorer, you went to the continent to explore it and you Like it often happens in the 20th century, you come back to your house, famous but cursed, so you need to go back to the continent to try to lift the curses that you have gained from the previous expedition. And in order to do it, you will explore the continent by creating the board game with cards. The core box will include more than 700 cards. And cards, 700, yes. And the cards represent the land cards or the events that you are going to face along your journey and you will create the board as you explore it and we we have used the mechanism that is used in the choose your own 
stuff, adventure path, exploration, books, um, to use, uh, we've replaced chapters you have in those books where you have the hero by cards. So you have card number one, it's a land card. And then uh, on this card, you will be able to perform actions that will make you draw additional cards, whether terrain cards if you explore, or even card if you visit some place or try to spot something or hunt or... So that's the main, the general idea. Exploration and survival, one to four players. And to lift the curses that you that are consuming you, you will play between 10 to 20 hours. But there's a saving system in the game with cards. It takes 20 seconds to save the game where you left it. And uh, you come back the, the day after or next week with your friends to to keep up the, the journey on the seventh continent uh, as you were. So basically your character, your items will be in the same state you left them. And uh, you will start playing again from the the land card you last finished your previous uh, game. So let me just try and unpack some of those because that was a lot of details. So in terms of the story, you're saying that all the players have come to this continent before, got cursed, left, and now they're coming back. Yes, to try to find a cure to their curse. So are they already somewhat familiar with the continent or they're starting brand new when they're coming a second time? Well, it's not very clear whether they have seen this part of the continent previously or not. Obviously, there are traces of expeditions before. Maybe some, maybe other guys from the previous expedition. Um, there are three different curses in the core box. So each one uh, has a very specific way to being solved. And as I said before, it would take many hours of game to of play to to find out how to do it and then manage to do it. Because once you you know, well, you guess how you can get rid of those curses, you have to actually make it happen. So at the beginning of the game, you don't know what curse you have or you don't know how to solve the curse? Well, you start the game, each curse card comes with a clue card that gives you a little tip uh, that will put you on the on the tracks of the solution. But it's sometimes very thin a thin clue so it helps you guess what it's going to be about but not necessarily what is the solution can you give us an example of one of those clues yeah of course uh, one of the curse is called the voracious goddess it's a card that represents a stone uh, idol uh, a bit scary with white smoke uh, coming out of its mouth and you'll have um, a clue card in your uh, when you start the expedition related to this uh, curse, it says that in the notes that you found with, that was uh, drawn by the, your, the previous uh, guys from the other expedition, uh, you find what looks like an itinerary. And on this uh, roadmap, there are obviously some statues that have been uh, drawn. And one of them looks like uh, the, the idol that you have in your haunted dreams. So maybe if you follow the steps of what is drawn on this uh, itinerary, you will find the the statue itself and then maybe learn what you need to do in order to to calm its uh, anger. In order to reverse the curse. Yes. And all the players are going to have the same curse on them or all the players are going to have a different curse on them? No, it's cooperative and they all share the same curse. Um, in terms of mechanism, 
the, there are two main decks in the game. The exploration deck is the cards with uh, the numbers on it. And you have the action deck, which will be used to perform all the actions uh, that are available in the game. And there will be about 30 uh, uh, different actions that you can perform. You can dig holes, you can hunt fish, you can visit things, you can hit, of course, you can pray, you can play music. And each time you need to perform an action, the action you can perform is either on the land card your character is on, or an event card that is attached to it, or a card from your hand, it can be your IDs or your state cards. If you are injured, for instance, the injured card will allow you to perform the action heal myself. So you can do also actions that are on the items you've crafted, and uh, all those actions work the same way. You have to draw cards from the action deck, and you have most of the time to obtain some achievements. They are represented with yellow stars. Uh, and of course, when you draw cards, it depends. It's, uh, it represents the energy you are going to spend to to do the action. So the more cards you draw, the more success, the more achievements you are going to obtain because the the, the achievements they are on the cards. Um, you've just drawn from the action deck. So each card of the action deck, it has achievements on it. It can go from zero to three. So obviously the more cards you draw, the more success you're going to have. But the quicker your action deck is going to, to get empty. And when it is empty, then you are exhausted. And now you are going to shuffle the, the discard of the action deck. And you are going to draw cards from it instead of the action deck. And if you draw a, a curse card, you lose. Everybody loses and it's game over. How many cards do you have to draw? Well, it depends on the action. For instance, if you have to, if you want to open chest, it will ask you to draw two cards or more and then to obtain two achievements or more. So you can decide to draw only two cards or you can decide to draw three, four, five cards if you want to make all the odds on your side. Because the more cards you draw, you see, the more success you get. And is there any way to get cards from your discard back into the action deck? Yes, of course. It's uh, it's very simply, you have to find food. And for this, you have to hunt or fish most of the time. Because food is an item that you carry with you. And it allows you to perform the action eat. And when you eat your food, you can bring cards from the discard pile to the action deck. And of course, if you have fire, the fire resource available, you will you will gain more cards from the discard piles and if you eat uh, meat which is not cooked. Food. Sounds definitely very thematic. Um, so when you're exploring the, the cards on the on the board, so you said that the different actions are going to appear just anywhere on the cards? Yeah, almost. Uh, you have uh, actions on the on the land card you're on. For instance, uh, you can have a you can go and visit a, a cave or you can dig a hole or you can uh, move to another terrain card uh, but you also have ID cards from your hands because the, the cards in the action deck they are your health your, your life force if you want and it's also IDs that will come through your mind during the ideas. game so IDs yes okay. and IDs there are two kinds of IDs IDs that give you a bonus for instance uh, an ID you can discard the card and then you get one achievement so you can discard it for instance, you, you perform an action, then you fail. You can discard this card and you'll get an additional success achievement. And it, maybe it will help you to just finally succeed. Uh, you previously failed. 
I'm not sure if I'm very uh, clear here. No, that's fine. So let's let's say I draw two cards. I need two success, okay? And on those two cards, I have only one success. So it's a failure, but I have the ID that says when you discard this ID, you get an additional success. Then I perform the action successfully. So you'll have cards in the action pile, in the discard pile, and in your hand. Then you can play yes. some extra ideas from your hand to help Absolutely. interact with the action deck. So most some of the ideas, half of them, give you a little bonus. So for instance, it allows you to get extra achievements, or it allows you to draw less cards when you perform an action. And half of the ideas are items uh, you have in your mind. For instance, you say, let's make a bow, let's craft a bow, or let's craft a, a club, or a raft, or uh, whatever. And uh, you can you can perform the action crafting, and then you will transform this ID card uh, into an item in your inventory. And items, same way as ID cards, they help you perform some actions. So for instance, if you craft the club card, it's uh, an ID, it becomes an item, and then this item is useful when you fight, or when you try to open something, because it's quicker to just knock the lock instead of trying to uh, open it uh, smoothly. All right. Um, so when you're on the board, can you describe to me like what some of the map tiles would look like? You've talked a bunch about how the action tiles look. What do the actual map tiles look like? Well, uh, in the exploration deck, um, lots of cards are land cards. So it's a card that represents a portion, a small portion of the seventh continent. And uh, the more they are in place, the more you will have a board that looks like a real uh, map, but not like a, a manuscript, like a, a real... Uh, like landscape. Yeah, yeah, like landscape. Like a absolutely. picture of the ground from above. Yes, absolutely. With all details on it, because environment is very important, because you, you can spot um, uh, small animal tracks. It's drawn on the card. So maybe if you follow them, you'll find somewhere to hunt, because it's, it means that animals were there before you. Or uh, you can have uh, something that uh, inspires danger, and maybe if it uh, proposes you to go and see what it is, it might might be not a good idea to do so, because obviously something is going to happen, which is quite bad. Or you can have uh, plants uh, drawn on the card, and at the beginning of the adventure, it's just a drawing of a plant. But later on, you'll know how to use this plant, and you have a card saying, when you are on a, the same terrain card as this plant, now you can use this plant to make fire, for instance. So you have to check to see on the cards what's all the illustration, the artwork about, because the artwork gives you lots of clues, and also it can later in the game become something you can directly use if you know how to use it. So there's a lot of secrets that are hidden on the card for people who are being very observant. Yeah, there are, there are also hidden numbers on it. So if you spot a hidden number, you can replace the card by the card with the hidden number. So let's say I find number 27 on a, on a card, and then I discard this card, and I put card 27 instead. And for instance, uh, now uh, where the hidden number was, there's now a new action. I have discovered a safe buried in the ground or whatever. So you're saying that you're actually removing parts of the map and replacing it with other parts of the map. Yes, yes, and the, the, there, are, there are events in the game that are going to change the curse of... Uh, it's just like in a choose-your-own-adventure book, you know? Sometimes you, you will make choices, 
and they will have consequences. For instance, let's say you have an event where you can you meet a guy, he's a salvage from the continent, and then you have two options. You can either let him go or kill him. If you decide to let him go, the guy will thank you and he will give you clues that will be useful two hours later, maybe, if you find the location he's referring, he's, he's mentioning. If you kill him, then you won't get the clue, but maybe you'll get uh, an item that he was carrying. And we have a system of um, the numbered cards. They have two colors, green and yellow. Golden, we call, we call them golden cards. Um, if you kill him, the game will ask you to banish card number 158, let's say. And uh, you will banish the green card. So now the yellow card is available. And the rules says that you cannot take... When you have two cards, for instance, if you have two number 158, you cannot take the yellow one if there is uh, still a green card. But now you've killed the guy, so instead of taking the green card, you will you will have to take the yellow card. And let's say, five hours later, after killing the guy, you meet a group of salvage guys, and someone asks you to draw card, something asks you to draw card 158. Then the green card which is, the guy is still alive, is missing from the game. So now you have to try to take the golden one, and the golden one um, makes the salvage understand that you've killed their friend five hours later, uh, before, and now they are going to fight you, for instance. So each choice you make during the the game might have consequences on the the following of the adventure. That sounds pretty amazing that you can create such a dynamic world and really have a legacy to your decisions in the beginning to affect all the way so many hours later. Same thing happens uh, if you find a safe, a chest, sorry. Uh, let's say you find a chest, you put it uh, on the board game, and it is here until you open it. When you open it, you'll have to draw a card, let's say card 300, and there are 20 cards or 30 cards 300, because the item you find in it, it's random. It's part of the replayability stuff. Uh, so you, you, you take this card and then it says banish this card from the game and then uh, when you perform the action again you will take the yellow card and on the yellow card the chest will be open for the rest of the adventure because the game knows that what you did you open the safe, the safe is not going to magically close himself uh, so now it's open and you won't find anything in it anymore so we have lots of stuff like this in the game and do you have any of these chests or items or anything presented by tokens or is it all just cards? Cards. In the game, you'll have 700 cards. Uh, you'll have uh, eight um, figures. Four will represent uh, the explorers, and four their fire camps that they can create if they have the proper item. And this will be exclusive Kickstarter. And you'll have some dices, uh, six-sided dices. It's just to um, to keep track of the item's durability. So when you get you craft an item, you will put a dice on it. Uh, for instance, uh, if you craft the raft, the raft has a durability of 3, then you put the dice on side 3. Each time you will use your raft, you will decrease the dice by 1. When there is no dice, the item is destroyed and you discard its card. Mm -hmm. And you said there are 700 cards in the game. Are, do you Plus have expansions, to, yes. You have to organize the whole deck each time you play? No, 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 because uh, we have a box with a vacuum tray or something like that in uh, in it with uh, dividers, you know, I don't know if intercalary, it's um, a cardboard that you, you will put every 50 numbers. So you'll have card 1 to 50 and then divider and then 51 to 100 and so on. So you can very easily, I don't know, 
I'm assuming you don't actually drop the box. No, you 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 shouldn't drop the box. Otherwise, you will spend <laughs> one hour putting them back in order. But uh, we've we've been working a lot on the ergonomic stuff because we've we've been playtesting the game thousands of times at conventions and stuff in France mostly. So we we've gathered all the feedbacks from the players, what was working well, what was to get improved, and uh, we've. We found some nice solutions, especially regarding how you can very easily access a specific card. What do you mean? Well, that's that's uh, what I said. Uh, you you have dividers, and it's very simple. When you need card sixty-three, for instance, then you, you know it's between the divider fifty and the divider one hundred, and you just have to to I don't know how to 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 say it in English. Just sort uh, through it. Just sort yeah. through it. And the numbers are on the top of the card, so you will find it very easily. So all four players are going through the same time. How does the game differ if you're playing solitaire multiplayer? Okay. Uh, when you start the game, you choose one of the explorers. There are four in the core box, and we'll add them with stretch goals. Um, each adventurer, you have a French uh, guy with uh, an adventurer, a survivalist. You have a woman from uh, called Killan. She's from Ireland, and she's a botanist. And so on. So each character comes with his character card plus five IDs uh, that are specific to his character that we are going to be added to the action deck. So if you play alone, you'll start with 35 uh, g- um, general IDs common to everybody, and you have five curse curses card in your action deck plus the five cards of your character. If you play four players, then you have 60 cards. So it's 35 plus five plus five pair. Um, player involved in the game. So that's one of the difference. Uh, the other difference is uh, the stuff you can keep. The number of ID cards you have in your hands, the number of items you can carry depends on the number of players. And also with bonus cards. Bonus cards, they are uh, also cards you can have in your hand. It corresponds to companions you can gain during the adventure or secondary quests that you can perform to get more experience points because you can gain experience points in the game that you will be able to spend to buy some new advanced IDs, etc., etc. So, first difference is every character has his uh, set of uh, specific cards. Second difference is when you play um, as a group, you can help each other when you perform an action. Uh, in order to do so, you need to be on the same uh, land card because if you are a mile away from your friends, you won't be able to help. And when you work together, you can you, have, you can have bonuses by working together to perform an action. But if you fail, then most of the time you will share the bad consequences. And um, you will also gain uh, one specific uh, state card, which is paranoid. So every every player was involved uh, in a group action that was a failure gets paranoid and starts looking at the other player wondering if he's if he didn't do it on purpose you know <laughs> or maybe he didn't do his best to 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 make it success interesting and uh, so I know you discussed a little bit about the replayability that there's multiple curses. If you have a different curse, it's going to send you a different part of the board. So I assume that the different curses make the game very different as you're playing through it? Yes, especially because every curse is very different from one another. So one will ask you to find the unfindable and the other one to reach the unreachable and the other one to succeed to do what cannot be 
possibly done at least at the beginning of the adventure. Later on, when you have some experience, you'll be able to, perf to perform this. But uh, So every, every curse is very specific. Uh, also, we have, um, I didn't mention it before, but each time you put a land card in play on the board game, you have to put random events. There are cards represented with a, f so we call it the fog of war because we used to play Age of Empire back in the days. <laughs> and uh, so now we, we have fog of war and it indicates uh, where you are going to be able to move. But before moving and revealing new land cards that are under the fog, you have to resolve it. And random events, uh, there are many of them and they are random, as I said, but everyone is uh, linked to a very specific area of the continent because we don't want you to get into a snowstorm when you are exploring a dungeon, for instance. Mm -hmm. It would be messy. So if you are uh, in the desert, you won't have events that can occur when you are in the snow or when you are in a temple or in a cave or in the mountains. It will be specific to this area, but yet it will be random because there are more random events that you will require for a single game. So, of course, random events, it can be good stuff. You can find uh, some item or you can have a new ID or else. It can be neutral, meaning you have to take a decision regarding what's going to happen. For instance, it says you spot some birds uh, flying around uh, what might be a corp. Do you want to go there? If yes, take card number X. If you don't, discard this and keep on the adventure. And of course, there will be random events that are just bad things. So you can get trapped. You can have to fight a monster or else. And we have uh, mini games as well. So some events, they look like, you know, Dr. Layton, the video game. Sure. Yeah, we have that kind of stuff. So you have to make some labyrinth or to 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 play with uh, the gears. I, yeah, gears and stuff. Right, that's the one. I've seen some pictures of the gears one online where you have a lever that you push or pull yeah. and the gears move around. Yes. Those do don't don't miss this one. My 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 advice. <laughs> and and we'll have um, for because we, people have asked us yes, but once I know which way I should put the lever up or down, then I know the trick. Yes, but we are going to put uh, alternative cards that look like the, the same trick, but with different numbers. So a guy will play again and then, oh, I know this one. Okay, I have to put the, the lever up and then, not good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Avrikasti, when you play through the game once about how what percentage of the cards have you already seen and what percentage of the cards would still be new to you for a second playthrough? Depends on your choices, mostly. It's very difficult to answer this question. It will depend on what you've done, what you have decided not to do. I suggest not to do everything in a row because it will just you will waste too much energy. That's not the idea. Of course, some players will try to do it, but they will face, obviously, a, a fatal end earlier than the others. You, you, you have to make decisions and one of these decisions, one of these decisions is to know what is in your best interest and what is not. So if you do lose the game though, you do have a good way of just resetting and going over it and trying the same thing again. Yes. Yes. Especially because in one game, um, I think you cannot see the whole, you obviously cannot see the whole thing. The events are random. The objects, the items you find are random. Your character will have an, a consequence on, on your game. So there are lots of elements that you don't, that will change from one game to another. 
And uh, in the courses, we'll have course uh, that works like uh, Agricola. You know, we, when you play solo on Agricola, you have to perform a certain number of points. We have that kind of stuff too. So you can try to beat your your score uh, mm -hmm. every time for mm -hmm. a single course. Mm -hmm. And so you also mentioned that part of the idea of the box was being able to save. How does the how does saving your your system how does saving your spot work? Well, it's very easy. You have uh, several cards in the in the in the box. One of them uh, allows you to keep track of how many of the cards you put it on the top of the action deck. So now you know this is the action deck, and the, uh, there's one for the discard pile as well. So you can put the two piles together with a card saying this is discard, this is the action deck, and each character is going to take each player is going to take his card with his character card and put it under it. His IDs, his take cards, so if he's injured or tired or poisoned or whatever, his bonus cards, plus every item he has in his inventory. And we have cards for every item to remind you what was the value of the dice on it. So the card will have one spot, two spot, three spot, four spot, five and six on the other side mm -hmm. to remember what was the state of the item. And then you put all those cards together. You keep the, you only keep the terrain cards that you were on. So you need to regroup first if you play uh, the team. And then you discard the rest of the board and you put it back, back in the box. And when you start again, you will put the land card that you stopped last time on. And then you put new random events where it is indicated. And then everybody will get his uh, ID cards, item, etc. And then you'll put the action deck where it belongs and the discard where it belongs. And you can start playing again. It takes 20 seconds. And what do you do with the map tiles? Do you have to re-put all those out in order? Yes, between two sessions, you will put the cards that were not banished from the game in the exploration deck. But as I said before, or maybe I, I didn't, For a single number, you can have several cards. So let's say you you spot a place in the rocks where you can have a, a first time you went there and you saw you could heal or uh, get uh, rest very more easily. Then you go again because you know this bonus is there. But this time something else happens because there are several cards with this number and the other one appears to be there's a bear in the hole in the in the cave and is going to to try to hit you. So um, it's just like in, in real life. If you if you take a walk in the forest and then you 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 go through a cabin and you you go through a river and stuff. If you do the same thing the day after, the cabin will still be there, but maybe there is someone in it, which was not the case the day before, and the river will still be it, but maybe there is something swimming, someone swimming, or else, and the forest will be there, but maybe there is some game in it. Now you can hunt. So it's the same continent, but the events that will occur might differ from one session, one game session to the other. Uh, that sounds interesting, but I was asking also about when you're, when you're saving the game and you're putting it away, how hard is it to rebuild the map each time you want to pick up the game? To put card back in the box, you mean? No, because to, no? to lay out the map correctly, because it sounds like there's a lot of cards that go into the map. Well, you, 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 when you create the map, you do it one card uh, at a time. You decide to go north, you resolve the random encounter that is here, and then you put the new land card on it. And then you will be able to move to this land card. And then you have to resolve new random encounters, and so on. That's the way you explore the continent. 
And are you able to pause the game at any point in time of the game, or are there only like checkpoints in the game? Well, actually, you can you can uh, pause the game when you want until it's not during an action, because it would be too easy to say. Let's say I stop during the fight against the bear I was going to miss. So this won't happen. You have to end your current action in order to be able to save the game. Mm-hmm. So what inspired creating a game like this? This this doesn't feel like anything that has really been done before, to my knowledge. To our knowledge, uh, either th- there are games that are inspired by the, the celebre, uh, the famous, uh, sorry, uh, uh, game books. But uh, we, my, the idea came first from my my associate, my partner. We, he's is is the craziest of us of, uh, of uh, us two. Uh, he has he's a creative genius of the team. I'm more into production and stuff. <laughs> Uh, so basically, what happened is we we missed, he missed, and I missed two actions. The, 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 there were no exploration, real exploration board game, where you could explore uh, a strange and mysterious continent. And uh, it, if you knew that uh, there were, uh, let's say, some bamboos here that you you, you see it on the cards, and maybe next card you will be able to find this resource. That will be useful to craft your items. So we wanted we wanted a persistent world, but lots with lots of random events in order, of course, to to have replayability and uh, the adventure every time you play. Uh, so it it came from a frustration, and then uh, when uh, we had to to find out, but how can I know what card I have to put here? Then we thought about the game books of our childhood and said, well, let's put a number on it and say if you want to go north, pick card. Uh, 12 if you want to go east pick card 27 and if you want to go west pick card uh, 39 for instance that's how it started we've been working on this game for more than two years now and uh, what took us a very long time uh, well there are several parts of the conception that took us time but uh, we wanted a game we, what we don't like in game books is uh, the, the fighting the skill test when you have to launch, to throw two dice to see if it says, okay, if you get more than your ability score, then it's a success, go to chapter uh-huh. If you lose, go down. And most of the time, you just don't do this because you don't want to fail on a stupid dice roll after five year, five, five hours of reading your, your adventure. So we wanted a, a game mechanism in which players can always, almost always, uh, succeed in performing their action, but the more energy they spend, the quicker they will face uh, starvation and death. So it's uh, you have to you, it's useless to cheat in the seventh continent. It, and you you want to perform the actions and and you want to guess. Oh my God, what risk am I willing to take uh, to perform this one? And do you think that's the biggest advantage this game has over one of those game board, those uh, those choose your own adventure books, or a point and click adventure, or something like that? Well, w- one of the one of the funniest thing in the to my to my opinion was the uh, awesome artworks that, uh, especially in the Lone Wolf series, you had. Uh, on the pages. So when you face a creature, you wanted to know, wow, it looks like this one, or uh, and um, what we have here, thanks to my partner who do all the artwork, is everything you you experience, you can see it. Actually, you don't you don't just read it, but you face it. So you know what the monster looks like, 
and uh, we can also use all the artwork to to turn it into something you can use actually in the game. As I said before, if you have animal tracks, it means something. If you have uh, jet steams coming from the rock, it, it may, may give you uh, some information for an action you can perform two tiles from, from where you are uh, currently. And you'll end up with just a giant map of all of these things in front of you with it. Yes, you will. And you're going to be bringing this to Kickstarter when? So Kickstarter starts on September 29th, uh, probably midday in the U.S. Um, and we'll have uh, one uh, basic pledge with the core box plus the eight uh, exclusive uh, miniatures, so four explorers and four fire camps. And there will be a deluxe pledge, I don't know how to call it, uh, with uh, additional expansions. Each expansion will make the continent grow a little, and add an additional curse uh, to to the to the to the game. So, for more more pleasure and stuff. And how much is that all going to be? The cost, you mean? Yes. Well, it's not definitive, but the the core box should be around fifty nine euros, if I'm not mistaken, and the the deluxe version about ninety euros, something like that. So it will be about one hundred dollars, not more. We'll try depend on the. The the, 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 the the change between euro and dollar, but it should be around one hundred dollar top. So with the expansions, it will be more than a thousand cards, plus all the stretch goals, and we have crazy ideas for them. So let's meet on the let's be let's see on the end of September. And so the Kickstarter hasn't launched. The Kickstarter hasn't launched yet. Is there somewhere people can subscribe to get more information or know when the Kickstarter does launch? Well, we put. Um, on our website, theseventhcontinent.com, we put a, a page for people to subscribe to the newsletter to be informed when we have something to show, such as uh, the game box or its expansions. And uh, obviously, we'll uh, on Facebook too, we'll uh, inform everybody when the Kickstarter is live. And you'll have uh, reviews from uh, reviewers in the US too, Undead Viking, uh, etc., etc. I so, cannot mention them all, but... Uh, so what do, you think is the most, what do you think is the most exciting part of the game to you, just just for your uh, development of it? Well, it's a, it's a difficult question because uh, what I like most is to explore. So it's just to unveil a new land card and see all the details that are drawn on it and try to find hidden numbers and wondering, oh my God, what if I do this? What's going to happen? So it's you feel like in a, it's very different from a video game. And yet you have some some sensations. I, I used to have those when I I first played um, World of Warcraft back in the days. Sometimes I uh, used to, to play a guy from the, the good side. And when I visited the Helven Forest, I was just, I could spend one hour just looking around and uh, at the trees, and, and it was a new a new area of the game. And I I feel the same way when I uh, when I uh, play the game. So new jungles and temples and new environments it's very very exciting plus each time you perform an action you'll have to make a tough choice how many cards am i going to play because if i fail this will happen to me if i succeed this will happen to me but i know the more cards i draw the more chances of success but the sooner i will face this sounds like a very cool game so if anybody's interested in the Get in contact with you guys. You're available at the7thcontinent.com. That's 7th yes. with a number. Um, and you can yes. subscribe there for more information.
Uh, thank you very much, Bruno, for being with us. You're most welcome. So today's game is Lewis and Clark. What is that from? Honestly, it's a Jewish um, music oh. for Shabbos. Okay. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's very adventurous. I like it. But I thought it fit. I thought it fit the, uh, the theme here. Mm-hmm. But yes, Lewis and Clark. Have you played this one yet? I, I've never played it. I've seen it. I've almost played it. I've considered buying it, but I never, I never have. Oh, man. Well, spoilers. I think this is a great game. Um, I own a copy of this. I played it a bunch. I think this is a really fun game, and it really does a lot of very neat things. So let me start telling you about the game. You ready? Okay. Yep, All I'm right. ready. I'm so listening. the basic idea of this game is you are one of the people doing the expedition of Lewis and Clark. Now, in the original history, there was only Lewis and Clark who were making an expedition to the West to explore the western half of the United States, or then North America. And in this version of the game, there's a big number of people making that expedition, and the number is based on however many players there are. Um, and all of you are trying to explore across the West, and the first person to chart the route across from the start of the game to the end of the game is going to be the winner of the game, and you are going to be the best explorer around. And the way you are doing that is through card draws. And moving your your scout and then your camp along. So the way the board looks is you have a big board. And we'll talk about the board can really be divided into two separate sections. There's along the right and top edges are the expedition track. And so you'll start at the start space. And along the way, you'll be playing cards that will allow you to move your scout forward. And so Whenever you get a card that lets you move your scout forward, usually it'll cost resources of some sort. And you'll spend those resources, you'll move your scout along on any number along that track. And then other cards, or rather, at other action you can take is you can then camp. And you may have to move your scout back some when you camp, but you'll move your camp forward to where your scout is, and that'll be a sort of locked-in position. And you'll keep moving your scout forward, bringing your camp on up, scout forward, camp on up, until you make it all the way across that track. The other portion of the board is all of the Indian helpers that you can get. So each player at the start of the game will get a number of Indian meeples. And these are little meeples with like an Indian feather behind them. And I don't know if you can take a look at the picture of them. I can look it up. I actually have my computer on right now. Amazing you have your computer on. Aren't we doing a (laughs) podcast and recording? I I, I really hope you have your computer on. (laughs) It looks really nice. Yeah, it is. But we'll get back to components in a second. But so each of your players gets one of these little Indian meeples. And I've... Hopefully you can see a picture of it on the right of that picture with the little red and the little Indian feather sticking up behind him. It's a cute little meeple. It's a cute little Indian meeple. It is. And you'll get those Indian meeples and you get to send them out onto the board. And so there's various places on the board that they'll go and they'll build boats for you and they'll trade you for horses or they'll trade you for regular boats that you can use to go up the river. And you use your Indians to go do stuff for you or you can use your Indians to power up your cards and 
on the board, you have all of these Indian locations. So you can send your Indians out to do stuff. And that's a lot of the board. Now, in the general game, that's the extent of it. But for the solo game, I'll get back to it. But those Indian locations become more important in the solo game. Um, talking about some of the components... So I'll talk about the type of resources next. So um, there are a number of different resources in this game, and some of them are more basic resources, and some of them are more advanced resources. And the reason why the basic ones are basic is because they're easier to get. The, the basic resources are wood, food, fur, and equipment. Now, unless you get the stickers, and I do own the stickers, unless you get the stickers, you can just tell these by their color. So that will be brown, pink, yellow, and gray. Now, it's, I find it kind of funny that food is pink, but food is pink. This gives my daughter great joy when I play with her around because, oh boy, pink. <laughs> but food ends up being pink. Now then, I do own stickers, which lets you put stickers on it to show a piece of wood, a piece of bison, some fur, some equipment. And so then I think it more resembles, then it resembles what it is on the cards because on the cards, it shows an image of those things along with the color. So I think it looks nicer with those. Um, so I do recommend the stickers if you ever pick up the game, and it's available from the BGG store. Uh, but those are the basic resources, are wood, food, fur, equipment. Now then, there are special resources, the canoes and the horses. And those require usually some method of building. You can either send out an Indian to build it, or some of your cards will let you convert the basic resources to the advanced resources. So some of your cards will, for example, let you convert three wood to canoes for example. These advanced resources are very useful because in general, they're the most powerful way to move up the victory track. Um, in your starting hand of cards, one of your cards, for example, lets you move up. The, the only card that lets you move on the track requires either canoes if you're moving up on water or horses if you're moving up on mountain. And the track will sometimes shift between um, water and mountain. So it requires canoes and horses. Unless you get another type of card that uses something else, that's your only way of moving up. So you'll need to really get those more advanced resources. So how do you get those resources? Well, the most simple way of getting those resources is by playing people who do. So you start your game with a person who will give you wood, food, fur, and equipment. And the way you get those resources is when you play them, in the multiplayer game, you look to your everyone else who's played cards, and all of the cards have in their corner an icon, usually wood, food, fur, or equipment. And you look around, so when you play a wood maker, you'll look around to see how many wood icons are showing. And however many wood icons is how much wood you could theoretically get back. So if there's six wood icons, you play that guy, you could get back six wood. Okay? Okay. Whenever you play a guy, though, you have to use a second card to empower him. Because everyone always goes out with helpers of some sort. Nobody can ever work alone. So what you do is you can you know, demote another person just to be a helper. And so different people will be different strength helpers. So they can be a helper for one, two, or three. If you pair a guy along with a one, per, one strength helper, so he'll do whatever his action is. So if there were six wood icons out, you'll get six wood from it. 
if you pair him along with a two strength helper, you can get up to 12 wood. If you pair him along with a three, you can get up to 18 wood, and that's a whole ton of wood. Additionally, you can also add along Indians. So if you only get a one or a two guy, you can add, correspondingly, two or one Indians to bump up the strength of the helpers. So you're adding extra helpers with your Indian meeples to get extra powers. So you can further double what it is that you need. Now that my example is started with wood and you're getting 18 wood, usually there's a lot less icons, especially if someone else knows, oh, you have that, you really are looking for wood? I am not going to play any wood icons to ensure that you don't get a lot of wood. So usually there's a lot less icons around to let you get that. But sometimes there will be a ton of icons and you will have the opportunity to get a lot of wood. Don't do it. It is bad. Getting too much stuff means that you are going to go too slow. When you get resources, and the resources are these little hex-shaped wood pieces of the different colors, mm-hmm. you'll then go put them on your boats. And you start the game with two boats for resources and one boat for Indians. And two boats for Indians, excuse me. And these boats have a limited amount of space to them. So the first boat has three, the, si- the second has five, and the next one has another five. Um, as you put resources in it, the more resources you have, the slower you will go. So, for example, if you fill up the second one, you, as long as you have one resource in there, it means that when you camp and you try and bring your camp up to your scout marker on the victory track, before you move it, you have to move back your scout one because you were going so slow. If you have so many resources that you fill up your third boat, for each resource, you have to move your scout back. So if you went and got 18 wood and then immediately camped, you would literally go all the way back to the beginning, probably. Ooh. <laughs> you know? Don't do that. So you want to try and run a very lean machine. So when you get a bunch of resources, you want to stop and think, well, how can I use those cards remaining to use all of these resources so that I don't have too many and I won't get stuck going backwards? Or at the very least, so that I can make sure I make it up next round. Interesting. And when you're playing the solitaire game, the icons are showing up more often because nobody else is trying to keep you from getting them more. Is well, that true? No. When yeah. the the way it works in solitaire is yeah, you've you've keyed onto these icons. That when you're playing with multiple people, so you can tie into all of their icons on their cards. So theoretically when you have a multiplayer, you're going to have more cards are, that are coming out. But alone, so you're only going to have your cards coming out, so you can't use anyone else's icons. So what happens in the multiplayer is you get a set of tokens. And there's eight tokens. And you'll put those tokens, and it's set where it is that you put them. You put them out on all of the Indian locations on the board. And from then on, any time there's an Indian at a location, it's as if that icon that has been played. So at the canoe place, for example, is a wood icon. So if you send an Indian to the canoe place, until that Indian leaves the canoe place, there's now a wood icon played to the table for you to key into. Similar as if another opponent had played a wood icon out to the table. Uh, okay. So that's the, that's the icon change. And in this one, it's a race against time. You, there's another, it's not an AI, there's another um, scout that you're playing against who every turn, the scout will move forward and his camp always follows him immediately. So you don't need to play with the camp with, for the, uh, for the um, ghost opponent. But he always moves forward one per turn. So you have a limited amount of terms to, turns to win, otherwise he will get there first. And so that's how it works solo. 
Um, okay. One more thing to discuss is that, so you start with your starting hand, and your starting hand is, um, it's everyone has the same starting hand. You'll have one of the people who make wood, um, yeah, wood, fur, equipment, and food. And you'll have one person that lets you get more Indians, which you collect all the Indians on the board and then take some. And you have one guy that lets you go up the river. But those are all, that's the same thing everyone has, and you won't go very far if you just try and use only them. Instead, what you do is you spend fur and equipment to hire more people. On the right side of the board, the only part of the board I haven't talked about yet, is going to be a flop, a, a layout of different people. And so the older people are worth the least amount of food, but their equipment value is tied to their strength. So you'll spend food and equipment to buy those people. When you buy them, they go straight into your hand. So your hand will get bigger, and so you'll get more power to be able to do more things on your turn and keep on moving. So some of these are more powerful. So for instance, for starts, you're stuck that the only way you can move up on the river is to use canoes. But you can find another guy who lets you move up for every wood you would produce. So if there's a ton of wood icons out, you can move up the river a whole bunch of times. There's another person who lets you move up one for every scout that you're behind, which is good for multiplayer. And so these different things can really mean that you have a different strategy. And when you're playing solo, the different cards that come up mean that it's really different each time. Because until now, nothing's really been different each game. But based upon what shows up in on the on the flop there, on the on the selection of people you can hire, you need to use those really to be able to be efficient. You're going to need to use those as efficiently as possible. So you have to start working with what it is that's displayed. And there's a big deck of cards. I'm, I don't know how many there is, but when I've played, I don't think I've played any solo games where I've very rarely do I encounter even the same sort of people. It's a good sized deck of cards for the different sort of people you can hire. Um, so that really means that's going to be very unique each time. Okay, it says there's 84 character cards according to BGG. Is that including the start player cards? 30 start characters and 54 encounter characters. So there you go. There's 54 encounter characters. And I think I normally see about 10 in a game. Um, the reason why you won't see more is because if you buy too many, it'll again slow you down. For every character you haven't played when you camp, you again have to move your scout back. So if you buy a bunch of cards expecting, oh, they're really powerful, I can use them sometime, you'll end up going back a bunch. So you only want to buy those characters that you think will help your strategy and not waste time buying too many. Also, you waste resources buying too many. But you'll end up moving back if you don't do well. That sounds really interesting. It's not, it sounds like it's a, it's a fun game trying to puzzle out just the right way to do everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, using those cards well because... I mean, to me, the most enjoyable part about this is you look at your hand, and I'll sit there, and this is this is one of the reasons why I really like this game solo. When I play multiplayer, I try and speed my turns on a little bit more, um, and not you know plot out my entire hand. Especially since when you play multiplayer, you can't really plot out everything perfectly, because it'll be tied to how many wood icons are left or how much wood you can actually get. So you can't have perfect planning in solo. You can really have perfect planning. The only random factor is going to be you don't necessarily know what new person might come up. So it might be the new person comes up and you're like, I've got to have him. 
But for the most part, at the beginning of your of a turn, before right after you camp, you can look at all the cards in your hand. And you can be like, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 this. And let's see, and that'll get me this and this and this and this. And you can just sit there and think and script it all out. And to me, that puzzle is so much fun. I really like being able to sit there and script all that out and think about how to best use my cards. Especially since you want to make sure that you're not getting too many resources. And you want to make sure that you're not wasting you know, people. Because each person that you get... You may not be able to use them all for your for the intended action. You may have to you you have to send along some for helpers, and you have to use and you'll have to at one point in time send Indians into the Indian areas to get more icons, and you'll have to you'll at the same time you want those Indians to be with you. I just really like that whole puzzle that's going on, trying to puzzle out what to do with your hand. It's it's really cool thinking about that. Yeah, it makes me want to get this game now. It sounds fun. It's a ton of fun. <laughs> I, th- I personally also, I really do like it multiplayer. I played a bunch of times multiplayer. It plays a little bit slow multiplayer, but not uh, not so slow. You just have to sometimes sit and think in your hand. I, I think that there is a definite learning curve because in the beginning of the game, you look at your hand and you're like, I can't do anything. And there's all these abilities that let me do other things. I don't know how to key this into this and do this and this. So it does require some learning curve to figure out how to do it, but that's okay. Okay. Have you found the the multiplayer game annoying after playing a solo game at all? I know when it with Snowdonia, I played the solo game a lot and I and then I got frustrated playing the multiplayer game because in the solo game I could plan a lot and say okay, I'm, like you're saying I'm going to do this and that'll lead to that and this and this and this. With multiplayer game you come up with that same strategy and then the other people just ruin it and get in the way of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I could have so much more fun without you here. <laughs> Which well, is not entirely true, but but well, I, I, I think found it's rather that it has you just have to. I, I mean, I just come into it with the idea that it's different. Is that it I, is. I know I can't plan it all out. For me, the challenge is more to be fair to the other players and not treat it like a solo game. I've played it a lot solo, and I played it a lot multiplayer, a, a lot, lot more solo. I probably play this four or five times as many times solo as I have multiplayer. Mm, okay. Um, so, but when I play multiplayer, part of the challenge is don't sit there and take forever to plot your whole turn like you would when you're playing solo because a that's not fair to everyone else, and b it won't work <laughs> yeah. because you can sit there and think, okay, I need six wood, and with the six wood, I can activate this twice to get two canoes, and then activate those two canoes to move up, and then I can prepare for next turn to get a couple Indians, and I can go and plot all that out. And then the next turn, that guy camps. And there go all my wood icons. So I'm like, okay, well, let me do that again. <laughs> and start all over, start that planning all over again, yeah. <laughs> so you can get like a loose general plan. You almost have to to be able to understand which people to buy. But it has to be more loose and general just in terms of fairness and also because there is the unpredictability about when those icons will get taken back off the board. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a matter of I think I just have to realize. I mean, when I play it, I just realize this is how it is that you play. Yeah. Okay. I really like the art on the board a lot too. That that's it looks great. Yeah, I mean, one other neat thing about the game is I don't know. You're you're a teacher? No, no, I'm a programmer. Okay. Um, someone else I know is a teacher, but um, one other thing that they thought was cool about this game is that inside the book, so all of the characters that you can get, both for your starting characters and for the hireable characters, are real historical characters, and I don't know how tightly the mechanics tie into what it is that they actually did but each one of them have a little story about what it is that they did historically and you can go and you can read it and some of it's interesting if you have an interest in history you can go and sit and read these these interesting stories just as they come up i know that uh, i'm i'm not 
perfectly familiar with all of them. So some of the icons, I'm like, wait, what does that do again? And I go to look it up. And once I'm looking it up, I'll read the history about it. And, you know, it's interesting. It's nice. I'm glad that they included something like that. It's neat. Yeah, that sounds really neat. And uh, the board is really, like I said, it was really nice. But it looks like it's also pretty accurate geographically, you know, as much as it can be. Uh, I don't know about that. Well... Maybe not. It seems to me like there's different types of Indians on different parts of the board, or is just because I'm looking at a, a, a. I mean, there are. There's the different Indian areas. So one Indian area is, for instance, where all the Indians will gather, and there's one where you can trade three resources for horses. There's one where you can duplicate another card. There's one where you can get better boats for holding more Indians or holding more uh, resources. So, I mean, yeah, there's different Indian spaces. But I don't think that's really related to how it actually, or or where those Indians were on the board. I, I'm not. I don't don't know if it's. Yeah, maybe you're maybe you're right. Maybe it was just I was looking at a, the image was blurrier than I realized. But one interesting thing about the board is, so like I said, as you're going along, there's river spaces, and then there's a big mountain and a little river, a little mountain, and then a little bit more river to get through. And so as you hit those mountains, you may coast right through those rivers. But if you hit those mountains, you'd be like, I have a canoe building machine. You get to the mountains, you're like, <laughs> oh no, I need horses. Died. <laughs> and you just sort of get stopped. And so everyone else will get a chance to catch up. But you can add in some variants. And the game comes with a bunch of tokens. And you can put the tokens on the spaces on the river. And you can add extra river. Or you can add extra mountain. So, for example, you can put an extra two mountain two spaces away from your start. (laughs) You don't even get all that time to build up before you have to start dealing with mountains. And I think that doing things like that, I think that there's some, you know, special uh, setups that people have used in the past. Or you could just sort of, like, throw them out on the board and see where it is at the land and be like, oh, all right, that's what we're doing this time. (laughs) It's totally random and deal with it. And it's it's, it's a fun little variant to play like that. I think my favorite thing in games is when you could change the starting layout. That that just always makes it so much more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what this one does, is it lets you put out those tokens to change what the victory track looks like. But yeah, like I said, I'm a huge fan of this. This is a game I've played a bunch solo and a good number of times multiplayer, and I do give it a big thumbs up. And I do know, I haven't looked into it too much, I know that they're coming out with a dice version of the game. Um, this game, like I said, does require a, a, it does require a learning curve to be able to understand how to do well, because you have to understand how to key in on things and not get too much. Because for a new person, I know that when I teach it, uh, I typically am like, okay, normally you're not allowed to throw away stuff if you don't want. You, sir, may throw away whatever you want whenever you want. I'm going to be putting this pile over here just so you see what it is that you're doing and see how much it is that you didn't need to get. But you can get as many as you want and you can throw away at any point in time. And so for new players, that's, that's, that's more, it really helps them deal with the learning curve. But there's a learning curve to be able to play the game well and correctly. Um, supposedly there's this dice version of the game coming out, Lewis and Clark Discoveries. And I have not looked into it and I don't know if it's uh, solitaire, but I have heard that it's a simpler, faster version of the same game. Okay. And it's called Discoveries, and it looks like it's $40, and it plays two to four. And that is based on this game, or just another it's game? It's a dice version of this game. And I have no idea if it's if it takes solo. I've not seen anything about it. I don't know. I haven't heard of that one. Uh, I think it could be I've only heard about it, because like I said, I do like um, this game a bunch. I play it a bunch. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I know that it definitely came up. So I know that I, I, I've heard some people who are saying that nations, uh, that, that they put this and nations together and which one it is that you prefer. So, oh, okay. And I, I, by nations, I mean nations of nice game. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks the art looks the same. Yeah, same artist. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's just the dice version of the game. Interesting. So there you go. And now, Lewis and Clark supports hard to play out of the box. The original one, the, the yes. not the dice game. Yeah, moving Correct. out of the dice game. Yes, support solitaire out of the box. It comes with those extra tokens that you put out on the Indian spaces, and all you do is you put out those tokens um, to count for extra icons, and then you're just moving on a log. Um, one every time you take an action, so the ghost player moves one step forward to winning, and you can make it harder or easier by changing where it is that the ghost player starts. So if you're a newbie, you put the ghost player you know three spaces behind, so you get an extra three turns, and it makes it a little bit easier to beat him on a lower on lower difficulty level. Okay, which is okay. Nobody's got a problem with that. Mm-hmm. I find nothing so frustrating as trying to beat a game, being like, I can't do it. Just can't beat it. So I'm happy that it makes it, at least easy ways of making it easier and more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, for whatever in the, you're in the mood for too. Sometimes because sometimes you you know you could play it harder, but you kind of just don't want to think too much. You just want a lighter, or you just want to win. You just know you want to win. I'm for that. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely will play games I want to win. I yep. know that I'm having a whole. I mean, I don't know the tangent here, but I know that uh, I, my win rate for hostage negotiator is pretty high. Is it? It is. That's interesting. Mine is is not so high. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, do you, do you do you play? Were were you willing to let uh, some of the hostages die, and you're just trying to win, or are you playing it where you don't want anybody to die, or, or what? Well, I mean, I consider it a win as long as I had half the hostages survive. Okay. Um, I don't require maximum win for a win. Um, but I mean, I don't ever let the hostages die it's not like i try and let them die that's not a good way of winning the game right it will there will be some times where i'm like oh okay <laughs> that, that one died moving yeah, on i mean i, I don't feel, feel bad any. when the meeples die yeah. i really do it's a meep- <laughs> you, you do feel bad or you don't i do i do you Go do feel things bad. yeah I don't know, and you know be. my my meeples have characters there's there's two that are different one of them has a a shorter leg and he hobbles a lot <laughs> and and so sometimes he'll that they'll free him first because all the other ones feel bad for him. Sometimes he's he's tougher and he doesn't like the pity, so he won't let himself go first and he'll stay around longer. And I really get into the theme of the game, and 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 I like it. There's and I found another one that's a little deformed, also not as bad as that one, but so so there's some interaction in there. We have different, very different, different style <laughs> playing games because. I would have just replaced the deformed people and <laughs> moved on. But yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. Also, Flashpoint is another favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel bad when you know one of the things dies. I mean, it's it's a game in the end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, could be I'm just you know stone cold hearted attorney. Um, <laughs> Maybe. But I, I just Maybe don't. Not. I just don't feel bad. Yeah, it depends on the game. I, I don't know why. For me, Hostage Negotiator. We need to talk about Hostage Negotiator on the show. We need to review that one. Did we just? That did. We haven't. We just talked about it. We've talked about it, but we've never actually like, covered it as a game. Okay, when do you want to do that? Ooh, it's a secret. We can't tell the listeners. Yeah, we should do it soon. We'll see. Maybe. Yep. 
as usual, we have it's. I, I think that my list of things I want to review on the podcast is much longer than my list of things I want to play, <laughs> which is probably a good thing because it means I'm really excited about a bunch of games. Yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll get down the queue. Yeah. We'll just have a podcast more often. No, no, not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. Yeah. We, we've done pretty good this year. This year's we've almost averaged two a week until summer vacation started, and then then I think we went to about three a week. You mean every other week and every, every three weeks? I'm sorry, not two a week or three a week, but every two weeks or every three weeks. You're right, yeah. And and that's definitely better than I was doing before, where I think I was averaging every three weeks. Or, I think you're averaging like every month. <laughs> I don't know. You've been doing this five years, and you got eighty episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see here. Eighty. That's twenty a year. That's twenty that, a year. So that's not, once every uh, what year two did and a half really weeks. Start? Episode number one was oh yeah, two thousand eleven. So it's been four years. Four years. Yeah, almost four and a half. We'll just round it to four. So that's about eighty episodes. Yeah, about twenty episodes a year. Yeah, so that's a, just a little under once every every other week. So. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, yeah, that's surprising. The, I know I said I want to do more war games this year, and I'm so far failing on that. Ooh, well, it probably helps that I don't own a single war game. No, not at all. Oh, you've played. Well, you covered a war game. What do you Maquis? consider a war game? What? Maquis? Maquis a war Maquis game? Maquis is not. You consider Maquis a war game? <laughs> I counted it as a war game. Why not? Okay. It's it's um, about war. <laughs> it's not about one, war. Two, it's three, about operatives. Four, it's spy. It's spycraft. Five. War, war would be something like um, you know the zombie game or uh, gosh, a lot of the victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to think oh, of like it. states of siege stuff. States of siege stuff. But that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about. Um, Hornet air carrier, whatever it is. It's got a ship on top. It's got just one plane. Oh, one um, plane. yeah. Dan Versing game. Yes. Right. Hornet leader. Combat. Hornet leader. The, the leader I got Hornet in there. There you go. The leader series. But yeah, I mean, I've never played any of those before. I'd like to play them at a point in time, but nobody around here owns a copy. You know, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, I've. it's really just... Other than my key, I don't own any war games, and I don't really consider my key a war game. <laughs> yeah. So, well, if we do count that one so far this year, we've got one, two, three, four war games. Which, that's not bad, but it'd be nice if we could do a few more. We'll try and, we'll try and get, a, like I said, Conflict of Heroes. We'll try and do that this year. That should not be a problem. We will see. Surprises left for the rest of the year. It is but yet September. Mm-hmm. Now there's a there's a new solitaire variant for X-wing. Is that a war game? It's a minis game. <laughs> yeah, but is it a war game? With We're minis. gonna have to work on a definition of war game. <laughs> I mean, you're fighting. It's you know combat. I mean, my definition of war game really is you have a bunch of units, and you move those units around on the board to do attacks based upon comparing unit to units. With the minis, it's really all about the the exact placement of them. 
more. You know, with with X Wing, it's like I want to ensure that this unit is specifically placed here. Not oh, I do move my mini three centimeters over to yours, and look, it can attack. <laughs> it, it's all about the precision of the location in X Wing. Interesting. Okay, because I mean, it it is the the uh, a war between the rebels and the imperial forces, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Have you played X Wing? Yes, I've been trying okay, to get good. my son to play it again, but the last time we played, he wanted a really big battle with tons of units on the board, and which was really cool looking, but then he got bored because yeah. it was going so slow. Don't listen to him. I, I, I mean, say, unless you want to play... That. Let's do it small, but it was fun to do that anyway. Unless you want to play the, the big ship version. No, that's okay. <laughs> uh, I'll stick to this one for now. But okay. yeah, I think we just need to do smaller battles and it'll, it'll work out better. Good plan. But yeah, I mean, I, I used to do X-Wing, Attack-Wing, Android, but I, I, I'm, unfortunately I've really put a lot of my time into Ashes and Ashes organized play and, and future decks and designing Platt stuff and working with them. So that's really taking up a lot of my time for um, competitive play type things. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really happy with it because I love playing Ashes and I like the competitive play. I mean, I'm, I do like the competitive play. Unfortunately, we haven't figured out, we haven't, uh, excuse me, we haven't gotten all the competitive stuff play released yet. So we'll see how all that comes out. Mm-hmm. Okay. I look forward to see, see more of that. Yeah, you have to actually get the game first. Well, yeah. Look forward to seeing any of that. <laughs> Well, all right. We should probably wrap up. It, it is getting late here. All righty. All right. So, so that's the show. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll be back in a few weeks with a different game. Yep. Hope you all enjoyed our ramblings. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast dot com or JL Bird on BGG, and Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast dot com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast dot com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo dot com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi dot com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.